0: Okay, welcome one more time. I'm Thorn Dreyer, and this is Rag Radio, and uh, we're glad to have everybody with us, uh, wherever you might be, uh, because we have folks listening to us from everywhere. Uh, we're we're syndicated. We're rebroadcast we're on a number of stations around the country, and uh, we originate at uh, Co-op Radio in Austin, Texas, K O O P. Uh, Ninety-one point seven FM KOOP.org, dot uh, org, a um, an all volunteer solar powered uh, community radio station that's cooperatively run. It's run by its staff and volunteers, so it's a very very cool place. We do our podcasts are posted all over, and uh, so I, I said recently, and I have to say it again because it had so much because it was so much fun. The concept, the idea, the visual was uh, our podcasts have legs. and uh, so Tracy was kind of crawling along the floor like a a moving podcast (laughs) Tracy Schultz is my engineer Tracy how are you today
1: oh doing well doing well happy to be here
0: okay and Susie Sheeler is our associate and uh, I don't know what that means we need to come up with a better title she was our apprentice and she graduated
2: I kind of like that it's it's kind of open
0: (laughs) we can just make it up as we go along (laughs) okay Roger Baker uh, our friend since the old days um, and our friend in the New Days is taking pictures, and he also has been a guest on the show numerous times, and he'll sometimes slip in a question. So, But always glad to have Roger here. Uh, my guest is the uh, most dangerous writer in America. <laughs> 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 Bill Minotagio, uh is the author of, along with Stephen, Stephen L. Davis, uh, the acclaimed new book, The Most Dangerous Man in America, Timothy Leary, Richard Nixon, and the Hunt for the Fugitive King of LSD. And we'll talk later about which one was the most dangerous man in America. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Minotaglio, a prize-winning author, journalist, and educator, has until recently (laughs) been a professor at the University of Texas at Austin he also wrote Dallas 1963 with Davis, mm-hmm. uh, which won Nonfiction Book of the Year from the Writers League of Texas and the National Literary Award from Penn Center USA, and his Molly Ivins, A Rebel Life, which actually he discussed with us in 2009 in an interview right here on this show, um, was um, also a Book of the Year winner. So, uh, Bill has written for the New York Times, Esquire, Newsweek, The Washington Post, Uh, It it goes on and on. The Houston Chronicle, (laughs) we were just talking about a minute ago. And many more publications. And I'd love this. He's been interviewed by Brian Williams, Tom Brokaw, Peter Jennings, Katie Couric, Dan Rather, Thorndryer. (laughs) (laughs) And and Thorndryer. (laughs) Right. Yes. Okay. Um, Based on freshly uncovered primary sources, that's what the publisher says, and new first-hand interviews. The Most Dangerous Man in America is an American thriller that takes readers along for the gonzo ride of a lifetime. Spanning 28 months, President Nixon's careening global manhunt for Dr. Timothy Leary winds its way among homegrown radicals, European aristocrats, a Black Panther outpost in Algeria, an international arms dealer, hash-smuggling hippies from the Brotherhood of Eternal Love, and secret agents on four continents." Culminating in one of the trippiest journeys through the American counterculture, um, it, it's it's an astounding story, uh, and it's not it's it's really not. It's, I mean, I guess officially it's a nonfiction book, but it's written like a thriller. Uh, it has you know with prison escapes and chases and, right. uh, and weathermen and black panthers and 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 all of this stuff, and it, it's and it's all there's these kind of parallels. It, it, the way that it, it part in the structure of the book, part of the technique is using this sort of parallel between the dangerous man, Richard Nixon, and right. the dangerous man, Timothy Leary. Uh, right. So, which one was the most dangerous man in
1: America? <laughs> well, you know, before I answer that, I want to thank you, Thorne, for, for being here and tell you uh, sincerely it's an honor because you, uh, just before the show, I was sitting there listening to you uh, name check all the people that you've known, many of whom are in the book. Yeah, right. <laughs> and I should have been interviewing you. And in fact, uh, maybe that should have been the title uh, of your memoirs, The Most Dangerous yeah. Men <laughs> in Austin, the Texas. Mo- the Most Dangerous
0: Interview. Yeah, no. But, but, but thank
1: you. And thank you to your, your great, wonderful, good-hearted team as well. So it's it's super cool to be here. Um, this is the best radio uh, station in the United States. Period. End of story. Okay, um, we need to get that. We yeah, can, get that. We can on, pull that out. The Great thing about radio is you can't see the five dollar bill being handed to me right now for that. But. <laughs> five dollars, man, you're cheap. <laughs> you're easy. <laughs> you know, when we were doing the book. Um, the uh, we were. It started just simply because we stumbled across the. Uh, uh, the phrase that Nixon had allegedly uttered about Leary, oh, he's the most dangerous man in America. And, and you know, plenty of people have said that about Richard Nixon, and I dare say more people have said that <laughs> about Richard Nixon. Um, so we thought, well, isn't that handy uh, for some simple... Uh, uh, simple-minded writers, you know, from, from down here in this part of the country, why don't we just ride that and see how far we can take it? I love
0: it. You have a quote from Timothy Leary in the beginning. Right. He said, when Nixon called me that, meaning the most dangerous yeah, thing yeah. in America, I was thrilled. <laughs> <laughs> the president of the United States, who many Americans and the rest of the world thought was yeah. a crazed, psychotic danger— for him to be calling me that, that's my Nobel Prize. That's my bumper sticker. That's my trophy on the wall. <laughs> it's, it's an honor. It's an honor. If Richard Nixon thinks you're dangerous, that's an honor. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, But it turns out that you don't think Timothy Leary was all that dangerous.
1: Right. No, not at all. I, I don't know. He he certainly wasn't benign. He was extraordinarily influential, really important. And I think you know, at the end of the day, we were. We were it's not a full dress biography of this book. It it just takes place over a twenty eight month period, but jam packed into that time period where where Larry's on the run. He busts out of prison. A very unlikely uh, guy to do that, by the way. He was an ex uh, Harvard professor. Uh, kind of uh, like an intellectual leprechaun, you know. He uh, busted out of a a pretty tough prison in California. With the the
0: help of international drug uh, dealers and uh, Bernadine Dorn and Bill Ayers. Yeah,
1: yeah. (laughs) It was an amazing convergence. Uh, The weather underground. Uh, The most dynamic, I think that's a good word to use, uh, revolutionaries in modern American history, the Black Panthers right alongside them, and then uh, this pretty interesting and very intense and colorful group of uh, uh, prolific drug smugglers, hippie drug smugglers called the Brotherhood of Eternal Love. They all coalesced out of reverence and maybe need. To have uh, Timothy Leary sprung from prison they they basically got him out, and then he went on this this madcap uh, journey around the world but the The thing that emerged for us when we were writing about this time period it, he was on the lamb for about three months was his um, uh, his personality he was an extremely likable person, extremely humanistic um you know i I tried to really think you know what what was tim 's angle, and his angle was to uh to bliss the world out in some way and that maybe uh, that would be a better thing uh, that was going on at that time period than war in Vietnam and bad things happening in the inner cities uh, vis-a-vis police treatment of you know folks and and on and on and on a lot of the things by the way that we're seeing today so he wanted to get the world uh, high He, he really believed philosophically that you're better off if you kill your ego and, you know, and you become connected. And that sounds kind of uh, today, you know, when I talk this way some people, they look at me like I'm, I'm you know, I'm multicolored crazy. But, it, you know, like, oh, Bill's.
0: Yeah, well, luckily people can't see you. Well, good. We yeah, have I, am, I, am, I am all of that. But it,
1: it, it seems almost uh, like a like a nutty, you know, concept. I but
0: love it. You said he's kind of, you know, a Mr. Magoo on acid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's just tripping his way through life, and circumstances happen. Yeah. He opens one door and then plummets nine stories, <laughs> but somehow or other lands on a trampoline and goes to another point. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. it, it's, it's pretty astounding. Well, he, it really is. I mean, and he just from yeah. the prison. The way yeah. he
1: executes it, you'd think he would never yeah. be able to do that.
0: Because it turned out he had to do the really hard
1: part. Oh, that's true. Now, he was a seeker, and he just enjoyed adventure and adventure <laughs> enjoyed, right. enjoyed him. So, yeah. uh he was a, I would imagine, a super cool guy to be around with uh, if you if you had an appetite for adventure and yeah. skittering pretty close to the edge and danger because stuff s t u f f was going to happen. like Hunter Thompson, only less dark. Yeah, <laughs> I think he, he had a he had a, a kind of an existential you know yeah. grasp on comic yeah. absurdity and yeah. he's very buoyant to use a cliche. He was like a cork in a raging river. Uh, but yeah, stuff would happen. And it was really outsized because with him and the world that he was. Uh, living in the orbit in which he uh, existed, he might one day run into, you know, John Lennon, he might run into Andy Warhol, he might run into Charles Manson. All of these things did occur yeah. and quite unexpectedly. And then joining
0: adjoining jail cell to Charles Manson or something like that? Close? Yeah.
1: I, 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 you know, I don't mind giving away the end of my book, but the book kind of ends that way where he's uh, finally, Nixon kind of seems like he's lassoed. Uh, Tim and you know brought brought him to heel and, and uh, t- 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 Tim's put in Folsom prison, you know Johnny Cash's Folsom prison, you know right, Folsom right. prison blues, and he's uh, he's in this dark brooding place and he hears a voice coming from the cell next door <laughs> going, Tim, Tim. It- it's me, and Tim doesn't know who that is. He said, it's Charlie. He's Charlie, Charlie Manson. So his, <laughs> his essentially his cellmate was Charlie Manson, and they have a, a really interesting debate where where Charlie essentially says, "I'm paraphrasing. You know, my philosophy was to embrace the dark side," and Tim said, "Well, my uh, philosophy was to embrace love." And, you know, I I got, I, you don't know, hear violins playing. My voice kind of <laughs> dipped out there. I, got, I don't mean to preach. Angelic but, wings. <laughs> flapping. But it, it really was his philosophy at the end of the day, the good and love and harmony and, and a hell of a lot of fun would always win out and always be a better alternative. But
0: he was a little naive, and he was always yeah. just kind of... Wow. Well, and at the end, yeah. he becomes an informant for the FBI. Yeah, there's so. <laughs> that. And, and you know,
1: Thornton, I, I know for a fact you know more probably about that chapter in, in my book, but he, uh, he he was really an unlikely political um, activist. He, he really wasn't. I mean, he, he, his thing was uh, spirituality, religion, this um, you know kind of... Uh, universal harmony in a, in a, in a way that, I mean, in retrospect, some people mock, but again, I think it was, was really sincere and super cool. But he uh, he kind of got pulled into the world of um, activism and revolution um, because some of the folks there in the Weather Underground and the Black Panthers thought, you know, we need to bridge uh, the dope people, the hippies, the, the Woodstock generation, the Summer of Love people with, with the movement. We need to act, get them active if we're really going to change things. And things had not been changing. The war was still persisting. you know, The draft was still gone And there was still mayhem in the streets. Police were, were cracking heads um, killing African-Americans. And so they said, if we can draft Tim there, he'll bring over this whole... His wing, his army, his people, his followers... Um, and they called it uh, the marriage of dope and dynamite. And, and they thought that the thought was, you know, this will really be the thing that could affect change and, and maybe topple Nixon. There really was yeah. conscious thought, man, we could knock him out of office and, and you know, affect big change. Yeah. You know that. <laughs> One
0: thing that's interesting is that when you talk about the weathermen or when you yeah. talk about, you know, and, and it, it's been noted that this is a, this is a thriller, you know, right. it's fast-moving. It doesn't give a lot of political context right. uh, or anything like that. And and uh, so you don't—I mean, it's, so suddenly it's like these right. pods opened up, and there are these right. domestic terrorists, you know, right. but without our really seeing what they went yeah. through. Although you talk about that a yeah. little, little bit, bit later. Yeah. But, uh, and uh, because there was a whole, obviously, yeah. a process of radicalization for yeah. people like Bernardine and, oh, yeah. and Bill yeah. and—, and uh, yeah. and then they came back from all of that uh yeah. and, and you know the fact that the war there was so much frustration with the war and what this country was doing to, yeah, sure, to of course, Vietnam yeah. and to all yeah. of uh not just Southeast Asia we, but, we tend fact, to forget
1: yeah I mean I, I not and, not intentionally just time marches on yeah. and people don't remember yeah. what really was happening back yeah. then and, and the, the theory the
0: kind of, I mean the idea that finally people just had banged some people yeah, yeah, It's really a very small number of people the yeah. weathermen were yeah. And, and, yeah. you know when we talk yeah. about it it sounds like there was this major movement yeah, like but the, it was just a small number the, of people. Yeah. But they went they just came to the to the, you know conclusion that we had to bring the war, they had to bring the war home yeah. essentially yeah. that because it, we were so insulated and isolated from what was happening in the rest of the world. Yeah, absolutely. I mean it, they made some terrible decisions <laughs>
1: I well, think. And I but, yes and, and I mean I I bet you feel the same way yes and no they yeah, they, exactly. they, they didn't like all movements you know there are Decisions that, in hindsight, you know, maybe we should have gone down that road. But if the uh, the good uh, that came of it was um, spreading the sense you really can't question the powers that be, and you should take to the streets in some way, then you should raise your voice. Well, I mean, that, we're allowed yeah, to. We're yeah, encouraged to. Yeah, a lot of that just hadn't yeah. been encouraged in the in the the fifties and early sixties, and and so they blew that open. And I think you know, a great part of their legacy is that freedom to do that now. Yeah, yeah, I mean, if people yeah, hadn't yeah, really done it on masse yeah. and you know, uh, really tried to uh, yeah. uh, fight the powers that right. be at that, scope. and of course, yeah. on most of those bombings, at least the weather bombings were
0: actually aimed at property not at people that's then,
1: exactly correct yeah, yeah. And so, that was obviously but, by careful design yeah, to, to yeah. avoid the loss of life yeah, yeah.
0: until the final thing when yeah. the bomb blows up in the townhouse and they were supposedly planning to to take it to what a, a, right. a, a, a GI uh dan- g.i. yeah they were Korea, going to take it to a, a military but yeah, i don't so. think that would have ever happened personally yeah. I don't know. I have no way of knowing. Yeah. I mean, that's absolute speculation. Yeah. And we know they were building it. <laughs> you know, part
1: part of, part of our book, and I, I don't know if we did a good job on, well, I don't know if we did a good job at anything, but, but I don't know if we did a good enough job on this. We wanted to, the, the time period that the book takes place in is 1970 to 73, and it seemed like, um, that's you know when I was kind of coming of age and going to college, and I, I went to the same college as Mark Rudd, who we were talking about earlier, that who was one of the instrumental founders, really, of the student movement and the and the Weatherman. Um, so you know it, it, it was in the air. There was something changing. I mean, it really was. And and I uh, when we were doing the book, we had a, a really cool editor who said, you know, was that like when paranoia? Really began in in politics, modern paranoia. Really, you know, filtering down from the White House all the way down. They were just scared of everything. And I, I said, yeah, I think I think if you look up paranoia in a dictionary, Richard Nixon is there. His, his photo is there. So we we felt like this was a good time period to look at. And I think a lot of both both sides, you know, left and right, were getting a little. Paranoid, and and we wanted to explore Timothy Roel, Timothy Leary's role in the middle of that. He was really about hanging out and talking to people and having fun. I don't know that that could have ever happened with he and Richard Nixon if they got together. But.
0: Okay, uh, this is a great time to take a break. Okay. When we get back, we'll drop some acid and we'll talk. Okay. Pretty right soon. on. <laughs> so, uh, we're talking with Bill Minutaglio, is the author of or co-author of the most dangerous man in America. Timothy Leary, Richard Nixon, and the hunt for the fugitive king of LSD. I'm Thorndryer. This is RAG Radio. Tracy, take it away. I guess we all know who that is. Uh, our guest is Bill Min- Minotaglio. I'm Thorne Dreyer. This is RAG Radio. Tracy Schultz is at the board. And uh, uh, tell us a little bit, Bill, uh, about that song and oh, about yeah. the connection to yeah, Timothy Leary. Yeah, I,
1: love, uh, I just love this connection. Come, come Together uh, is largely um, inspired by Timothy Leary. I, I heard somewhere, I don't know if this is true, y'all might know this, that, that that's the most oft-played Beatles song
0: is that true? Yeah, I don't know. Anyway. I, didn't, I
1: just heard that, but it, yeah. but the, the idea was that that Tim. Uh, Tim was just a rascal, you know he was he was like a, I, I called him a coyote trickster, I think at an right. email to you, Thorn where he uh, uh, sort of in the, the Native American shamanistic spirit of things. he was the coyote trickster who stole fire from the gods that 's LSD and then he brought it down to earth to share, but then he wound up singeing his own tail with it and setting himself <laughs> on fire and other people and <laughs> got a little out of hand, yeah. but John Lennon got uh, wind of the fact that Tim Leary. In part, as part of his rascal behavior, was going to run for governor against uh, Reagan, uh, Ronald Reagan in California. And part of his campaign platform was that we all need to come together. Can we you know, uh, pull together, come together? And uh, Lenin had also sought out Leary, as many people had, you know, high and lower, above the cloud line and below the cloud line in terms of fame, um, do you remember the, the Beatles song where he, John Lennon sings, you know, it is not dying, relax and float downstream? It was really based on Leary's writings about taking an acid trip right. and how to right. kind of roll with it and flow with it, yeah. so, you know, lower your ego. So he was a big fan, um, and he uh, got together with Leary and said, you know, uh, I hear you're running for governor. Why don't I help you with a campaign song? I'll call it Come Together. And so there you have it. So Mr. Juju Eyeballs might might be Tim Leary. I don't know, <laughs> but <laughs> I think uh, you know, in, in terms of having someone pen a campaign song for you, I don't think you're yeah, going to do much. Much, yeah. That's, yeah, that, that's, that has that's, to be among the all yeah. That's time not great, chopped liver, so. yeah. As no. I say, yeah, New York. <laughs> so, <is. laughs> well, and it's and it's
0: interesting too because maybe there were people who I guess because of the you know the. I would say the tourist element which took over the hippie... Whatever. You know, we never uh, called ourselves hippies, right? by the way. Right. And that almost right. was something that was after the fact. Yeah, it was like a media phenomenon. Media conceit. Uh, yeah, right. But, but you know, and I wrote an article one, a, a, about... It was the summer before the summer of love, I think, yeah. and talking about how San Francisco, the hate and everything, was starting to right. turn dark, you know, mm, and stuff. Maybe right. A, yeah. And... Uh, um,
1: yeah. Well, Altamont happened, and there. Altamont yeah, happened, yeah, yeah.
0: but a lot of people, you know, really blamed that. Some people yeah. blamed that on not just Leary, but the yeah. you know, a community of things. But one thing in the early days, you know, what part of what he established was a way to to do. Of course, it was originally a psycho, you know, an yeah. experiment for, in psychotherapy, and yeah. actually, there are yeah. those who still believe it should be used. Yeah, that Absolutely. it has great potential yeah. in that Absolutely. area. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, his the book that he did with Metzger and Albert, The the right. Psychedelic Experience, yep. which was really based on the Tibetan Book of the Dead.
1: That's the one that John Lennon read, consumed, loved, and then also wrote uh, some of his earlier yeah. songs uh, around. Yeah. Well,
0: I read it and consumed it. And, yeah. yeah. Uh, it, because yeah. what he did, it he you know, he basically talked about, it, yeah. and his idea about people taking acid was, yeah. it isn't something you just do when you're going to the grocery yeah. store. Yeah. You know, it's something you do seriously. Yeah and you have a a, a supportive community with yep. you or you're yep. in, a, in a situation yep. and yep. then you know to expect cuz his concept was yes. that you know there's this yes. in, this incredible up and then you hit like this wall yes. sort of and it's yeah. A, yeah. and it's the mountain and then there yeah. is no mountain and then there is a mountain again and and then you have the rebirth <laughs> it's the death yes. and yes. rebirth yeah. And, yeah. and that that's actually happens in the you yeah. know and so it, I don't know whether it was power or suggestion but well. and I'm not saying I ever did acid but when we did acid uh, <laughs> 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 we, uh, uh, You know, followed that. I mean, I was never one of these people who did it. I wasn't like um, uh, you know the 13 floor elevators, you know, right. oh, who I did understood. it you know hundreds and hundreds yeah. of yeah. times. But
1: yeah. um now, Tim, Tim thought of it uh, initially uh, as a therapeutic tool, a palliative, you know, healing uh, 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 drug, you know, chem- a, pre- a prescription, I suppose, for folks who uh, he, he was he was working with prisoners. Um, in California, and, and try to, trying to to figure out how to reduce recidivism, you know, folks who might repeat the same crime after they had been released. And so he was just working with them in a good hearted way as a, a top shelf uh, uh, trained uh, psychologist, uh, you know, a, a professor out in Berkeley, and then at Harvard. Uh, and then, um, uh, you know, it was one of these things, you know, physician heal thyself, he began saying, well, I need to understand what I'm giving people, I'm going to try it myself. And then it, to him, it became a, a portal to some other higher consciousness, a, a sacrament. In fact, you know, he initially formed a group, um, in the early '60s, called um, the League of Spiritual Discovery (LSD). Ha ha ha! Right. But he, he really thought of it as a religion. And what was most important to him initially was that you carefully control the set um, and, and the setting, you know, the place where you would have it, and then and then how the process would take place. It was really important, almost like you might think of a church, if you will. One of the big beefs that he got into with the father of LSD, Albert Hoffman, who's credited with just discovering it, a Swiss, uh, kind of a your, your, you know kindly old Swiss chemist. <laughs> he uh, had an interesting experience where he ingested some LSD that he was experimenting with, and he had a famous bicycle ride that Pete Acidheads really uh, talk about as part of the Lord. It was a long, mysterious bicycle ride back home from the lab to home. But he and, and Tim were really the godfathers of LSD in many ways. And they debated, Hoffman said, you let the, you open Pandora's box, and now it's really become a recreational drug as opposed to a sacrament. And Tim, you know, basically said that people have free will, uh, they'll go where they want to and it's still a debate you know among some people who advocate the use of hallucinogenics well it's
0: still a debate about free will for that <laughs> well yeah yeah sure 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 yeah yeah
1: yeah so you know I'll, uh, I, I will I'll tell you you you're, you're funny before I the I've been to a couple of you know book readings and so on and uh, uh, I was in Houston for, what, a couple of weeks ago, and the very first question I got from the guy, for sort of a menacing guy, I might say, in the front row, that, uh, you know, it, I believe in immersion journalism. Did you immerse yourself in LSD, Bill? <laughs> I said, "Why well, define define immerse?" You know? <laughs> it's just a lick of a T-shirt. Well, yeah, right. And I just said there's, there's gradations of of going, you know, so deep into a story. You know, <laughs> you never know if you'll ever come back. That's
0: right. That's right. And of course, we have to say that. That LSD, playing with LSD, you know, I mean, unleashing it on a, yeah. on on the public is not, you know, if you don't have context, if you don't, yeah. and and if you don't, and if yeah. you if you kind of got yeah. a, a really yeah. heavy duty dark side anyway, or yeah. if yeah. you're a little bit yeah. unstable uh, in yeah. ways, I mean, it, you know, there were lots of stories, but those, the there were the stories of people trying to fly out of windows and stuff, yeah. but you know, those, there weren't very many. That was.
2: Well, there I were know. the 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 orange sunshine that was in the book about, and I was asking earlier, yeah. Bill, about how it was uh, it was put in juices and handed out to people and handed out to a cop, for example. And um, people didn't know. And it's the same in the key, in the Tom Wolfe book uh, yeah. about Ken Kesey, They yeah. did the same thing. They did the electric coolant acid test, and nobody knew that they were yeah. tripping. Yeah. And you know, I think that's where maybe Hoffman was talking about that's letting right. it out of the box, that's exactly because at that right. point, yeah. I mean, anybody was doing whatever they wanted to with yeah. it. But it seemed very cruel to me yeah. in the in the Wolfe book um, because they were filming these people freaking yeah. out. So, yeah, but, yeah. And so, Ir- irresponsible
1: yeah we yeah. We, we yeah, thanks for bringing that up, yeah. It, yeah, it's uh, in hindsight, they know, did a lot it of they things. did by the way, they did Key did one of
0: those things in Houston that was a big failure no kidding, in Houston? it was a failure wow. at rice University at rice, yeah. wow, yeah. Oh, I, smokes remember, and... I remember I remember back amazing. in the day when the yeah. when the bus came through Austin, yeah. and it was just parked up the street where I don't remember where I was, but it <laughs> no. was just parked there, and people That's were coming amazing. in and out of yeah. it, and they
1: were all these young, I didn't actually. I think uh, you know to, to to go go back to yeah, you know, what you're saying. So go. no 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 so wonderfully that I I think people were so um, in a hurry to want to effect change and and seemed to think you know here's one way to do it whether it was through bombs you know frankly or through acid and the, the uh, Tim I think did believe that the more people who got turned on the better things would be I don't know that i really don 't know this whether he agreed you know with what with this group that supported him so well with the cool name Brotherhood of eternal Love. they were flying airplanes like big giant. Uh, planes, you know, with chutes that open <laughs> at the bottom, and instead of bombs coming out, they were dropping, you know, hundreds of thousands. Bales of, hit- of marijuana. Well, well, hits of acid. Over rock shows. So, uh, yeah. Okay. I, oh, okay, okay. You yeah. know, I, yeah, something, no yeah. doubt, percentage says mm-hmm. something bad happened to somebody on yeah. that. But, you know, t- Tim... I, you know, later on, I got to know him a little bit. I met him, in fact, in Houston, and then he and I would uh, converse over the phone. He gave me his phone number, which I thought wouldn't work, <laughs> 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 or that maybe I would speak to him telepathically in some yeah. way, you know, or a hologram. But, uh, but he he basically said a lot of that. He said, you know, I think things went a little too you know, too far. And, and then he also was worried that he was just viewed, you know, through the prism of history as just a drug guy when he was more than that. You know, yeah. he really had some uh, yeah, other big right, theories. Right, right. Yeah.
0: Your, your time with him, and I think you said you met him a couple of times. Didn't you? Well, well, I met him over one, over once. Phone, uh, you, like, yeah.
1: you might remember this place. There's a cool bar in Houston, I thought it was cool, called La Carafe, which oh, yeah. is the, I think the oldest building. It uh, was on Market Square. Uh, yeah, yeah, downtown, and I used to work at the Houston Chronicle, and we were talking about that, so right. it was Right, that's where I would go for my four-hour lunch breaks, you know, and just <laughs> taking the pulse of the city, boss. I'll be back later, you know. Just, uh, you know, that's when the Houston Chronicle was downtown. Yeah, yeah, down, Yeah, it uh, was, right. yeah, it was, it was just, out. it was just. If they looked yeah, closely, so, they'd see yeah. me in there, just hanging out. With I my think my that neighbor.
0: was one of the oldest buildings in yeah. standing. And did you already say that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Said? No, it was. I think in the city, <laughs> yeah, but does. I but I hung out
1: with with uh, Tim there for the better part. It was a rainy afternoon, and we spent the whole afternoon. And then he gave me his phone number. He said. You just call me if you feel like, and periodically I would call him, and we'd have uh, pretty interesting conversations. And I, I, this is my story, and I'm sticking to it. The things that he was talking to me about—this is back in the '80s, uh, early '80s—he uh, was talking about the internet before uh, quote Al Gore invented it or whoever invented <laughs> it. I don't, I don't know who invented it. Maybe one of us did. I, I don't know. But he was he was forecasting, you know, how people would stay connected together through the use of these small personal. Com- Computers and and the world would be brought closer. So he had, he was. Uh, I sound like a fanboy. He was a visionary, and I, I think ultimately a good-hearted one. Yeah,
0: it's. Uh, did you, Susie? You had another question you wanted to ask, didn't you, about Michael Pollan's book? Oh, Michael
2: Pollan has written a book. I'm sure
0: that you saw about the um, about well, LSD
2: and and the mushrooms, of course, which is. My preference, where I would have a
1: preference. <laughs> There's a lot being revealed today, I yeah. think, about all of us. Yeah. And it's, I'm it's, revealing stuff. It's like decades ago. This is not only the best, it's the most honest show in America. <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, I was kind of wondering, um, LSD has, I, from what I understand, what I've always understood, kind of comes from what I call ergo. I guess it's ergot, people call it. Yeah. And so uh, I guess it's been around for a really long time. And I was thinking about biblical times, kind oh, of wow. like like the burning bush. Wow. Is it possible someone ingested some some <laughs> and, saw, and, and hallucinated saw burning early, bush and, then, and then or hallucinated or early religion? Heard voices ran, to ran, tell them to kill their kids. Wow,
1: wow! And well, then ran very quickly to find the parchment <laughs> to write the rev- revelations on, which is <laughs> the, the most psychedelic <laughs> yeah. part of the Bible. Yeah, and, and, uh, and, uh, yeah. You know, you you are. Thinking and this is a compliment I I would say as Tim Leary would because that's where he uh, he began working backwards you know he was uh, a real button down martini drinking professor at Harvard and then began learning about these really you know chemicals like like he would go to a drugstore and get a pill and then he began wondering about the the genesis of this thing called LSD and then really its uh, companion. Um, psychedelics or hallucinogenics. And he began traveling to Mexico to do research into peyote and uh, mushrooms and, and on and on and on. And that, he, he that's where he, frankly, began getting into legal trouble. He was, in fact, busted in Texas. You know, he was crossing the Texas-Mexico border yeah. and they, they, they snagged him for small amounts of pot. But he was really beginning to explore it. And then taking it even further back to thinking about... Um, what might have been happening in India, you know with people who had had transcendent experiences out of body experiences, what some people would call magic, and then you know uh going to Peru and not that he went there, but his mind went there to do you know research <laughs> right? so to speak and so i I can't answer his it's astral, a really good question but I think you know he was i he considered these things you know gifts that were here and that people needed to do a careful study and controlled um, experimentation with it and then see what would happen. And he took really good notes. He really observed. And he also, you know what, I give him props for this, said I'm not going to give anything to anybody that I haven't tried myself. The the amazing thing about him, and it almost sounds comical, was that he had a, a, a prodigious... Uh, he had an ability to do a lot of things and, yeah. and not really uh, compromise his behavior in some way. Like he could still drive a car and do things and behave. And he, he what a lot of people said, and some told us, uh, had said previously and then told us now, is that he became even more lucid. You know, he was just <laughs> really his mind, he was a genius and he could, you know, articulate things in a better way. I don't, I don't know that that was my experience. No, I don't science. think that's <laughs> not mine. <laughs> that's not necessarily. What I was you more know. colorful. My, my theoretical not in my
0: theoretical experience also it wasn't exactly, but uh, <laughs> theoretical. But it's very it's interesting. You know, I at, w- at one point in I can't remember what the event was, yeah. but you talked about uh, people everybody taking peyote or, or mescaline, mm-hmm. and and that apparently they. Took too much, and that they were all throwing up. And they were yeah. all. Yeah, well, I, th- this again is not from personal experience, but uh, <laughs> that if you if you didn't throw up, you probably right. didn't have very good. because that right. was part. That was really in fact of the Indian right. ritual, yes, but especially exactly. with peyote, yeah. was that that's yeah. when you. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, because it's putrid stuff. Yeah, well, especially peyote,
1: Tim. If, Tim you know. Yeah, it's lesser. Known with Tim because I think you know we equate Tim equals LSD. You know, yeah. the, even the cover of our book probably right. amplifies that—the yeah. king of LSD. But but he was really uh, into exploring what was going on, right. um, you know, in, in quote indigenous cultures in Mexico and then further south in, mm-hmm. in terms of using yeah Organic things and just uh, stuff that was pop- that was left there for us. Yeah, okay, not, not man-made. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right, uh, I think why don't we use this moment, this opportunity to take a break, Tracy? Uh, my guest is Bill Minotaglio and we'll be back in a very short time. <laughs> Okay, thank you, Tracy. That was Gracie Slick. Yeah,
2: yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Who, I, my, I'll remind people first, that my guest is Bill Mnottaglio, who's the author of Timothy Leary, Richard Dixon and the Hunt, the most dangerous uh, man in America, Timothy Leary, uh, Richard Dixon and the Hunt for the Fugitive King of LSD, was also uh, the author of Molly Ivan's A Rebel Life, which we talked about on the air before, and Dallas 1963, which was an award-winning, uh, highly acclaimed book. So... Uh, Gracie Slick, yeah, is in your book.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to ask you: Did you know her no. as well? Did you come no. across Gracie Slick? That's no. somebody I would I just would no. love to meet. Yeah, um, yeah, she she makes a, a cameo appearance uh, in the book. Uh, there, there are a number of. Uh, Tim was just you know, had, just had an interesting circle. You yeah. know, in the acknowledge, acknowledgements to our book, you know, with the part where you thank Everybody, your mom, and everybody you could think of to thank. The first line says, "Thank you to Tim Leary for leading an interesting life." So uh, <laughs> he gave us a lot. He was, that was a gift to us as uh, Craven feral writers, you know. But he knew uh, Grace Slick, and and um, you know one one of her moments in the book is uh, an attempt that's <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pretty, pretty amazing, where she she tried to get into the White House. um, well, did get into the White House, in fact, but she was planning while in the White House to uh, put some LSD in a, a punch bowl that she hoped that President Richard Nixon would would uh, you know dip his ladle into and then pour into his own teacup and then drink. So we were talking earlier off air uh, how the world would have been quite a bit different if Richard Nixon had... Um, <laughs> Drink, drank his LSD It might have made him good Well I, you,
0: you I don't know That
1: would have been Yeah it, yeah, it could have unleashed no. other yeah, yeah I don't yeah, know I that that The on monsters on yeah, yeah, the seven, It would have been like Ghostbusters The avatars of Vishnu Or something <laughs> but Something really would have like, happened Yeah. The
2: similarities between Nixon and Trump Are frightening to me after having read yeah, this book I'm just I'm I'm floored at the it's, paranoia, the level of paranoia. I, I hate to say thank
1: home. you for that, <laughs> <'cause I, laughs> but, but I'm glad. I mean, I, I appreciate. I'm sad that, that is, what you said is true, but I appreciate <laughs> your seeing that because... Uh, there's a lot of paranoia, and, and you know one of our things that Nixon was the king of this demonizing uh, individuals. You know, really just saying I'm going to lock and load on you, Thorn Dryer, and anyone else I can think of. There, <laughs> I, I know there's a file on you somewhere, oh, but, but, but and yeah. it's pretty big. But that, but that they, uh, you know, that they and size matters, <laughs> especially to for Trump. Trump, for Trump yeah, <laughs> but that that yeah, Trump isn't very far. You know, I, I tried to write a little. Uh, essay, um, well I have written it, I'm hoping it'll get published somewhere that's called, "What well, If Richard Nixon Could Tweet. Oh, gosh. And and as I was thinking about what he would tweet, they're the exact same tweets that Donald <laughs> Trump sends out. They really are. He changed names a little bit, you know. But uh, but the same style, tone and you know and vitriol, venom. And, it's kind of strange in that way because it's like a lot of people were saying, it's like in the lead up to the State of the Union address, yeah. on this time, X number of years ago, when Nixon right. was having his state of union address, and it's like going, "All right, after a year of this yeah. Watergate thing, yeah. we need to get by, We need to let it get yeah. to p- yeah. get past it. Yeah, yeah. No, it's the same thing, and just putting pressure yeah. on your, your own people who might be investigating you. The whole, it's just, it's an amazing parallel. And broadly speaking, the paranoia, you know, the whole world's against me, and I'm going to strike out at them. You know.
0: Okay, I, we're talking with Bill Minard hoglio I want to ask you just briefly about the book and how. The concept, how you decided to do this, and how you, and a little bit about the research, but I know you sure, talked yeah, about yeah, that here yeah. before. And but especially why you decided to to sure. do it like you did. Okay, you know, yeah. Why was
1: it an adventure story? Yeah, why well, was well, it, thank, you know? yeah. Thanks for asking. Uh, a couple, of, well, three, two or three, you know, things. We had done a book called Dallas in 1963, which you were very generous to mention, and that was a. a pretty darn D-A-R-N depressing book in some ways. It was about uh, the virulent hatred that existed in Dallas in the years, the three to four year period building up to the assassination of Kennedy in Dallas. The most right wing, most conservative. I, I, we proved it. It was an amazing convergence of scary people. And so, uh, frankly speaking, my buddy and I, uh, a brilliant guy, Stephen L. Davis, is just a, a genius um, uh, yeah, he, I, he just an amazing writer and researcher. And we
0: wanted uh, him to come on too, but yeah, he yeah, wasn't yeah, able to yeah.
1: be with us today. Exactly, so. but he, we'll do something with him later. He's so smart. He's studying the entire encyclopedia right now, backwards and forwards. Uh, <laughs> I'm teasing, <laughs> but no, he's really a genius. And we, and we talked, uh, hey, let's do another book. Okay, that you know, that was pretty successful, we managed to you know, endure each other in the little marriage working together. But man, we gotta do something that's a little more a <laughs> beat a uh, beat or fun and and there are certainly parts of this story that aren't fun. But in talking and you know you get to know somebody when you're working that closely on a book. It's like we found out that we had an affinity for Tim Leary, and that each of us had in the past, like, man, that guy would make a great book. And then we thought, uh, well, how do we narrow it down? There have been other books written about him, full dress, as I call them, biographies. And we decided, let's center it on this. Um, And what's really, I think, kind of funny, and there's a little barbecue town, which perhaps you know about, you know, uh, Luling, Texas, not too far from where we're sitting here in Austin, you know, what is it, about 45 minutes away so steve and i went down to the great barbecue joint there the luling city market i think it's called barbecue and we said let's just meet there we'll have some barbecue and we'll talk steve lives in Further south of Austin in New Braunfels, that was a, a neat meeting place. And while we were there, we had this bizarre experience where we were, began talking really loudly in this small town Texas, you know, barbecue market about LSD, the Black Panthers, Weather Underground, overthrowing Richard Nixon, blowing up the White House, you know. And we kind of like suddenly looked around and said, "Oh man, <laughs> no good will come of this." <laughs> and uh, but then we we came at We had this like uh, apotheosis. Ten dollar word, you know, like for this awakening, uh, the Satori moment of awakening. We said, you know, it was the comic absurdity of Tim's life might be the best thing to write about, and to make that a thread through the book, because that would really be in keeping with his own, you know, his his uh, approach to life, uh, like this sort of leprechaun that I said on, on LSD, and uh, and so. It was kind of a challenge because there were moments in the book, you know, we were talking about where some bad things happened, um, but Tim's uh, resiliency and buoyancy and, and ultimate kind of sense of humor were, were what we focused on. So, so that that was like our thing. We just said, you know, okay, let's write about Richard Nixon and LSD and then uh, revolution, but let's try to see if there was anything even uh, still resonating. And maybe even, not to dishonor any of what had happened, but but that could be so absurd that really we should step back in the Bruce Springsteen line, you know, maybe someday this will all seem funny, you know? <laughs> but, but, but meaningful, too, yeah. and so, right. I don't know if that answered your question, no. you know? We, we, I
0: think it's funny that Michael Roth wrote at the Washington Post, he said, the chapters are very, this is, I'm taking out from yeah. It was very complimentary, oh, he right. said, uh, it's told in a breezy, uh, novelistic style, uh, the authors have done an amort- enormous amount of research, but they have decided to weave a tale, not make any arguments or broad claims, They write in the present tense as if they are witnesses to the events as they unfold. The chapters are very short and easy to digest. There is no analysis to get in the way.
1: LSD, divorced from how you feel about it, is is a powerful drug. So maybe maybe we transported ourselves back in time so we were there. (laughs) You know, know, the other thing is I've got two... uh, Two kids, one uh, uh, children whom I dearly love. One's 25 and one's, uh, 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 well, he just turned 20. Holy holy smokes. Um, And I wanted them to read the book. And I wanted them to be aware of what it meant to be adventurous, courageous, and how maybe some of the things they're seeing today really were going down years ago, that maybe things haven't changed as much as we hope and would like. Um, and maybe they could do something about it. I really, you know, <laughs> it's kind of selfish. I want my kids to read my book. You think they would want to anyway, right? But I don't know that they do. Read or, or the book. Well, it's, it's like, yeah, <laughs> t- read Dad's book, for goodness sake. But I but I wanted to write it in a mo. Steve and I both, he has uh, young kids as well. Like, Let's write it. I, we and, should
0: note that your daughter is is a writer and your son is a musician-producer. Is that right?
1: <laughs> yeah, so thank you for mentioning Yeah, my daughter. I was going <laughs> to so say, my, my daughter hard. drank the Kool-Aid in, the, in this discussion that might sound kind of strange. There was nothing in her. She, she got into journalism. I don't know. She, she needs cult deprogramming. Uh, but I, but I, the uh, you know, I, I wanted them. I wanted young people. I, I was worried that. People might forget who Tim was, and to make him relevant, we wanted to make it kind of a page-turner. I mean, you want a page-turner anyway, right? But I, yeah. But we really cared about it. We didn't want to treat him like dusty, musty old history, because I think there are a lot of lessons in his life about buoyancy, resiliency, courage. Trying new things, you know, maybe bring depending the, upon other people to save him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it, and you know, there are cautionary lessons. too. He, he let a lot of people down. He wasn't the best parent, you know. You might yeah. say, and right. and he, you know, he acted a, a little unhinged. I would, I think, yeah. you would say, but but yeah. So so to go to that Washington Post review, we did write it in present tense as if we were there. We we our defense <laughs> to that uh, beyond. Um, the fact that we teleported back in time uh, was that we relied very heavily on Tim's own papers, which we had a crack at among the first people to take a look at his archives. Uh, And I mean, like, tens of thousands of papers, boxes, that were recently released uh, to the New York Public Library. They they were sold to the New York Public Library and then released to the public. And we were among the first people to really... And we flew up to New York and just dug into them. And I, I was telling you earlier about... How excited I would be to be looking at a, at a folder of Tim Leary's uh, materials, his, his archives, and, and pull out an envelope and look at the envelope and it says, you know, from John Lennon to Tim Leary. I, I You know, again, I'm a... Fanboy, I was just like, should I should I be holding this? You know, can I slip it in my pocket and bring it? This will bring a fortune on eBay. You know, I, I just like, it I was so wonderful. And you know what that envelope contained, or had once contained, it was a five thousand dollar contribution back in nineteen seventy one or so to Tim Leary. Today's dollars, that's a big chunk of change. And he was sending it to Tim while Tim was underground on the lam, trying to execute this miraculously crazy escape. From, from uh, America, spelled with a K, as he did, than some other people did, and, and then going on the lamb around the world. The weather,
0: the weather people did. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. The weather people did. Not necessarily Tim as much. You're exactly right. But yeah, he, he was supported. 28 months in disguise, using fake names, running around the world, literally uh, being pursued by Nixon, yet being supported by guys like John Lennon. Well, wow. did, did, was it was it in
0: his papers that you learned cuz there's you have a lot of consciousness stuff that obviously <laughs> i won't say embellishment i mean you well. you make it Work. Try to
1: make it living history, I living guess, was what I would say. So, did you
0: find in his, in his papers, for instance, what his first reaction
1: was to Bernadine Dorn? <laughs> <It was> just... <laughs> well, yeah, there's, you know, and, and you, it could be read many different ways. He claimed to not really know who the weather uh, men, and then the, later on they became the weather underground. He, he claimed to not really know who they really were, and I, I kind of tend to believe that. They weren't really broadly no, he he knew of them, but didn't know them personally. Uh, and Tim, when, he also lived a rarefied life.
0: Yeah, in, sure, yeah, no, he
1: did, yeah. And I think you know, he was uh, one of these people who became a celebrity. People thought that he had an answer. So people in I say in Hollywood, but but well-known people, including John Lennon, uh, would come to him and, and ask him if he had the key. Do you have the solution? And yeah, you know, the Moody Blues wrote a song about him, and and, and nodded to that. But yeah,
0: which but he, is something
1: else if we had time. Which, maybe, <laughs> we go, maybe we could go out. You don't have it pulled up. there's Just, a, yeah, there's go a few, out with there's that. a few other references to him. But I yeah. I think uh, you know he, it, he he yeah he got uh, you know he was sort of g- gusted forward by this adulation uh, from people who really thought you know in an age of anxiety, fear, paranoia, war you know the the whole world's going at echi double l in, in in a handbasket and maybe tim has a better way so he had a lot of followers and uh, he was extraordinarily famous he was on the cover of every major magazine he was on talk shows and then the, you know our book opens up in the first couple of pages with nixon uh sitting around the white house saying you know what we're going to make Tim Leary Public Enemy number one. We're I going- love the way you pull that together, too. Yeah, that was it's, super it's, fun. It's wonderfully written. Yeah, we take a... I, uh-huh. th- that's one that I I feel... If we... I don't know we if we did anything really original, but that... that- might be it. There, you know, Nixon was infamous for all of his secret White House tapes. There's some probably listening to your conversations, Lord, and they're probably there somewhere. <laughs> but, he, but he's got you know secret tapes everywhere. Oral history, yeah. And and so, man, what a slog! I tell you what, I I took a lot of Tylenol listening to Richard Nixon tapes for hours on end. But I came across, or we came across, this moment where Nixon and and his folks, Haldeman, Ehrlichman. Uh, to bring it to Texas, uh, Treasury Secretary John Connolly, former governor of our great state, uh, were there. And, and they were basically saying, uh, Nixon was going, man, I am sick and tired of my the media does that sound familiar? It does. I'm sick and tired of the fake news, and and then people, you know, are gang. They don't believe me. I've accomplished so much. Why don't they believe me? And they basically said, you know what? We need to do a diversion thing, which also sounds familiar today. Let's you know, let's distract people away from this and concentrate on that. And the plan was let's suggest that that America is uh, being engulfed by drugs. We're awash with drugs. Drugs are destroying every child in America. So, okay, that's a good plan, but how do we, you know... Americans like people who wear the black hat. Uh, they like to see a villain. They, they, they like to identify a, a villain, kind of a, 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 a you know, latter-day Osama bin Laden, if you will. And they picked Tim Leary. I mean, I, he's, like, sitting there somewhere, you know, just, just tripping <laughs> bluecing, out somewhere. Out yeah, the... he's on a commune. He's having some fun, I think. And <laughs> and then, little unbeknownst to him, in, in the... Uh, uh, in a room just outside the Oval Office, it and, was decided
0: way. that Timothy yeah, Leary no. would be yeah. the most dangerous man in America. On, it's on
1: tape, and and, and Nixon yells yeah. out, "We've got room in the prisons for him." You know, with great <laughs> glee, you could see it's like Mister Burns in The Simpsons. He was uh, <laughs> clapping his hands together. He's very happy. <laughs> Wasn't the
2: accusation chemical warfare? <laughs> yeah. yeah, chemical warfare. Sure. That's excellent. Yeah,
1: yeah. That was the, okay. the birth of the war on drugs, and Tim Leary was going to be the the general of the opposing army that they were going to take down.
0: Okay, we've got three minutes, two and a half minutes. Uh, What do you, one, what do you take, bring with you from this experience? And Uh, two, what are you working on now? What's next? Well, that's a good question. That's a good double. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, I, I'm kind of excited. Uh, and, and you can answer either one. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <time. laughs> well, I, I'm excited. Uh, the uh, The publisher of this book is forking over some dough. I'm, I'm not accustomed to this kind of this kind of treatment, but I'm going to go next week to San Francisco with with my great, brilliant. Colleague Steve, and we're going to visit there, and we're kind of excited because I think uh, we're going to run into a lot of people that knew Tib Very, very, very. In fact, I know we are. We knew him well from his time there. He lived uh, underground after he had bu- uh, the weather underground had busted him out of prison. He hid out in San Francisco for a while. So we're uh, we're excited to uh, uh, to do that. You know, I'm, I'm going to veer off for a second. I got to oh, tell go you ahead. this in Houston again. I did a book reading there. The second question I got after I was asked, Bill, how much acid have you done? The second question really wasn't a question. It was a a guy who looked like he... He could be selling you insurance. He's just like a kind of a nice man, button-down guy. But he said, "Bill, I'm the guy that shot Tim's ashes into outer space." And I thought, <laughs> said, "Man, that's an <laughs> icebreaker, wow. you know." Yeah, and you uh, know. in fact, Tim's ashes, you know, were shot yeah. into outer space by a guy from Texas. We do some good things here, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And then he, uh the guy, you find
0: about out about it in Space City. So well, yeah, no, so but they, they were
1: launched to outer space and. <laughs> I like to say now that, that some of us are breathing Tim's uh, molecules because his ashes <laughs> did uh, enter, you know, back into Earth's atmosphere. And on that cosmic <laughs> note, <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, Bill, to talk to for a being lot, with Lord. us. Yeah.
0: Uh, we've enjoyed it immensely. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. It was and, and super so hurry fun. up and get another project going okay. so we can do it again. Thank you, Next all, week, you Philip Russell, author of The Essential History of Mexico on Mexico's Current stru- Struggles and... Peña Nieto's swan song. <laughs> uh, I'm Thorne Dreyer. This is RAG Radio. Catch you next week.